Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Father Michael Kaiser. So I'll be preaching from the Epistle, which is the lesson from the Epistle of Blessed Peter the Apostle, usually referred to as the Blessed Epistle. I'm sorry, the General Epistle of Peter sometimes the Catholic Epistle of Peter, because it's written to the entire church, not to one particular group, uh, such as Paul normally did, either as individuals or people. So this is the first Epistle General of St. Peter. And he says, Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy in Christ Jesu our Lord, in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Try to imagine what it must have been like for the twelve, or the eleven at that point, since Judas had done away with himself, after the, the crucifixion. You know, all of us have had to lead to deal with disappointment in our lives, but never anything as crushing and as devastating as the apostles did. Everything they had believed in, everything they had been taught, everything they had been told seemed to have been crushed like Bambi meets Godzilla, just absolutely smashed as a spot into the ground. And for a long time, they mill around afterwards trying to figure out, you know, for the first week, precisely what it is they're going to do. Peter remembers that, and he writes a lot in his first epistle here about the necessity of being faithful, of trusting, and of being obedient to what we are told to do and to believe. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward, for this is thankworthy. Now, there's a, 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 a bumper slogan to drive around Detroit with on the back of your car. Servants be subject to your masters. The word in Greek, of course, originally is doulos, which means slave. So he's talking to slaves, to real honest-to-goodness slaves, because the Roman Empire could not have survived without slavery. It was the foundation upon which their labor force was based. And he's telling these slaves... Do what your masters tell you to do. If they're good masters, that's fine. If they're bad masters, you do it anyway. That's the way it works. Now, when we talk about slavery in the ancient world, it was somewhat different from the kind of slavery that we think of as that which at one time existed here in the American South. That was extremely brutal captivity. This slavery was not necessarily, although there were bad masters, just as there were good masters. That's inevitable when you're dealing with any set of human beings. You're going to have good and bad thrown into the mix. But Aristotle was a slave. You may remember him. He had some things to do with thought and philosophy. He was owned by Philip of Macedon. And so he was appointed as Alexander the Great's tutor. 
The fact that he was a slave didn't keep him from being a member of the household, didn't keep him from eating with the family at their meals. Now, like I said, there were good masters and bad masters, but on the whole, it was not the kind of horrible existence we might think when Jesus is telling his servants or slaves to obey their masters, you know, because this is good in the Lord. It's often pointed out it was ubiquitous. It was spread throughout the entire world, as it still is in many parts of the world. Islam has no problem with slavery. You can afford the slaves, you can buy slaves, and you can have the slaves. And in the ancient world, if you could afford them, you could buy them, and you could have them, and you could use them as they wish. Now, some of them, like Aristotle, were men of extreme perception and intelligence and led lives that gave great contributions to human thought and to human history. A lot of the others probably just washed a lot of dishes. But the fact is that it was possible in the early church, and this really drove the pagans nuts, they could not understand this. It was possible in the early church for masters and slaves to become equals, in other words, brothers in Christ, through the sacrament of holy baptism. Now this just blew the pagans away. You know, they could not believe. Tac Tacitus once wrote, <coughs> was that major Roman historian, about the early Christians that, you know, they basically followed the gypsies, tramps, and themes theory of uh, church growth. You know, they will literally take in anybody. Hookers, thieves, murderers. You've got to do your time first, but you can come in after that. Anybody who has done anything, and also Roman senators, military officers. You know, I mean, it went completely across the board, and what the church initially stood for was basically turning Roman society upon its head in making the master the servant, and the servant the master. As a priest, I am both. I am your leader, your father confessor, your, your, your spiritual uh, father, but I am also here as your servant. You know, the roles are combined in one person, and any priest is supposed to be the same, although there are a few who tend to forget that. So anybody could sign on if they had someone to sponsor them. It's a little bit like immigrating into this country. You had to have a sponsor in order to become a catechumen within the church. And you had to be willing to change the way you were living your life. And that was meant quite literally. You're a prostitute? Well, okay, that's fine, but that ends right now. No more will you sell yourself to men or women for money. Uh, you make little statues of gods that they put on the dashboards of their chariots that they drove around, you know, in the cities and what have you. That's got to stop because there's only one God and we don't worship heathen gods. And so they would bring people in who proclaimed their sincerity of being willing to change their lives for the better. And they were watched. You can imagine what would happen if we really attempted something like this today, really. Not just saying, okay, these people are catechumens and they're studying. 
but they were watched. And if you came staggering out of Manny's once time, one time too many, you would be observed by your sponsor or by somebody, and that would be reported back. And that means there would be a little come to Jesus meeting between you and the pastoral leadership of the parish. Do you want to change your life or not? If not, we're here to help you. If not, the door is that direction. You can come back when you're ready to make a turnaround. So it was all about changing the lives of the people who came to Christ, seeking his healing, seeking his mercy, seeking his love. And the amazing thing, at least the amazing thing to me after 42 years of parish work, is that it worked. People really do seem to have changed to such an extent that their neighbors noticed. Now, you had to be kind of careful about this because Christianity was an illegal religion at the time. Uh, but it was something which was noticed. And another Roman pagan writer said, my, how these Christians do love one another. Now, when you've grown up in a stratified society, when you've grown up in a society in which no matter how comfortable the slavery position, you basically had no rights of your own. If you were a woman, you know, some issues never go away. If you were a woman, you basically had no rights in, 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 a, Roman, in a Roman family. The Roman pater familias, the father of the family, had absolute, he owned his wife and children. If he wanted to sell his children into slavery, he could do this. And all of us who have been parents have thought about it at one time or another, Bella. Now, uh, but the thing is, I mean, he could sell his children into slavery. He could simply divorce his wife by saying, you're not my wife anymore. So long. Don't let the door hit you on the way out, kind of thing. Women had no rights. You know, the poor had no rights. They were placated by the Roman government with the traditional breads and circuses. The Colosseum, many, many festivals with the food and the wine was eaten and flowed copiously because the government knew that if they didn't do this, they'd have massive riots on their hands and they had a massive army to keep the peace no matter where these people were Roman citizens. The Romans were very egalitarian in their citizenship. Anybody could become a Roman citizen. If you were a black African, you could become a Roman citizen. If you were a Jew, like Paul, you could become a Roman citizen. And he was very proud of that fact and used it to effect several times when he himself was in danger. So on that level, there was a similarity. But as far as the church was concerned, we didn't care about your background. We didn't care what you had done, what you had did. Yeah, we didn't care what you had done. We didn't care what you were doing as long as you were going to stop doing it if it was an unrighteous style of life. There are all kinds of things we read about that Christian were not allowed to take part in, in terms even of occupations. One of my favorites is amulet maker. Now that's not omelet maker. Omulets were the, the magical charms and what have you that were made and sold and which people would buy. And if you had those, you had to give those up. 
Now, women were told, even if they were wealthy, even if they owned slaves, even if they were the wives of senators, they were told, you know, you had to tone down the Dutch boy just a little bit, you know, around the eyes and what have you. Uh, you know, you're not supposed to show off that way. Uh, dress is a little flashy, you know. Uh, <laughs> I always laugh at that when I think of when I'm serving in Byzantine Rite parishes, particularly Antiochian, where you can hear the sign of the cross made because of all the bangle bracelets on the arms of the woman. would go clink, 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 every time they make the sign of the cross. They come to church dressed to kill. They really do. There's nobody there pretending to a poverty that they do not have. If they're not poor, they want you to know you're not poor. Well, that would be okay as long as you'd humble yourself and be willing to share your riches with others. So when St. Paul, I'm sorry, when St. Peter is writing, uh, be subject to your masters with all fear, and not only to the good and the froward, but also to the fro uh, gentle, but also to the froward, he is assuming that this change in relationship has taken place. That all of a sudden the master doesn't really regard the other. It doesn't matter if you legally free the person. If you don't treat him as a slave, he's not a slave. One of the letters that Paul wrote, one of the few letters that Paul wrote to a person was to uh, the letter to Philemon. And the letter to the Philemon, which is the shortest epistle in the New Testament, was about a slave who was the slave of a man that Paul knew and converted. And this slave, Onesimus, stole from his master and ran with the money, was eventually caught, and wound up being thrown into the same jail cell as the Apostle Paul, who was there for being, you know, annoying by preaching to the gospel and, and going into synagogues and, and that sort of thing. Whereupon, he converts Onesimus to the Christian faith and baptizes him there in prison. And then he writes his letter for Onesimus to take back to Philemon. Now, he had stolen from his master. He had run away. Both of those were death penalty offenses, if he were caught. And Paul wrote back, and he says, this man is now your brother. He's not the thief who stole from you. He's not the runaway slave. You are no longer really his master. He is you, and he in Christ are brothers. And it astounds me the way this must have seemed to other people. Think what would happen if we lived our lives that way, without regard for whether or not we were being praised for it, without regard for whether or not we were being rewarded according to what we think is just and right, be subject to masters for the good and gentle, for this is thankworthy. Why is it thankworthy? Well, if you're only good to those who are good to you, big whoop. I mean, who cares? But if you respond to harsh treatment with mercy and with love, this is something God asks and hopes to see and, in effect, requires from us as Christians. It is a hard thing to do. All of us have been in jobs and have had bosses that we had very little use for. Don't even get me started on bishops. 
I mean, I know there's a reason why God wants them in his church. I just wish he'd tell us what in the heck it was. You know, we have all had, you know, job masters that we really simply did not want to have to deal with. But we do. Not just because we're saving our collective butts. We can probably go out and find some kind of job somewhere. But because it is good for them and for us, and if they say our behavior, that can transform the situation. And in fact, can even bring them to a sense of genuine repentance so that their behavior changes. Now, one caveat. Under no circumstances does this mean that you keep yourself in a position in which you are being either physically or emotionally abused. That's wrong. What you are doing when you do that is allowing someone to continue sinning, to continue darkening their own nature, darkening their own noose, and not really being able to come to the light of repentance. So that, you know, that's why he says, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. That's because that sort of stuff is illegal. Abuse is illegal. You can't hit people. You're not supposed to hit people anyway, and that's why you get arrested for it if you do. But that's the one caveat, because we always seek to serve, and the ones we should try to serve the most are those who we'd rather not have anything to do with. There is the story, of course, of St. Francis of Assisi, or Francis of Assisi, if you get nervous easily, uh, that you know, not only did he cleanse the sores of lepers, he kissed them. Now remember what we do on Monday, Thursday, when we do the washing of the feet. I sometimes think of that. Fortunately, I have not had a congregation of lepers in my career, but you know, people come forward. I wash their feet. I dry their feet, kneeling before them on a lower level than they are because they're sitting taller than I am. And then I kiss them, and I wish them peace and on their way. That is the sort of thing, believe it or not, that can change lives. I've had people break down into racking sobs at that point. That this priest whom they thought probably didn't like them, and probably had a point, that this priest who seemed so disparate, distant, and frustrating with them, was willing to kneel before them on his arthritic knees, which were killing him, and would wash their feet, and would humble himself to go as far as to kiss them. And I have been changed. You see, you change by doing good. How do you stop doing bad? You do good. It is not in any way, shape, or form rocket science. It's not hard to figure out at all. You do good to people rather than evil. And when you do good, you yourself begin to change. And what Christ is positing for us, the one who Scripture tells us in Colossians is at the center of all creation, drawing all things into himself. That's if he's holding the entire universe together to keep it from just spinning apart. Is that the more you love, I have found. The more you love, the more you are capable of loving. And that can at first be a very difficult thing to learn. When my wife was paralyzed, oh God, what, 22 years ago or something like that? Time flies when you're having fun, so you can't quite remember 
all the deals, details from the past. I was not a happy guy. I was not a happy guy because my wife was paralyzed. I was not a happy guy because my whole life had changed, not hers. All of a sudden, rather than just saying, yeah, I love you, I actually had to show love. And I've never been good at that. The simple fact is that I've never liked people a whole lot. Uh, I always kind of regarded them as, as you know, objects of, of, of scorn. And the humor that I sometimes use sometimes gets very barbed. Uh, and it should not. So I usually have to go and prostrate myself and ask forgiveness. I have asked more forgiveness in my life than I ever thought I would have to do uh, through things like that. And after being in denial for about three years with the fact that she was paralyzed and that we had to deal with this situation, and as some of the health insurance began to run out, and therefore I couldn't have people in as much as I wanted to have people in, I had to begin doing things myself. I had a woman who came in four hours a day and that was it. If I was home, it was my responsibility. I found myself doing things that I absolutely loathed and still would not be too thrilled about it. But the more I worked with her over the years, and like I said, this has been going on for 22 years now, at least until she went into the nursing home, I developed a deeper love for her than I had had before. I was the only one. I was the only one who was her constant companion, the one who worked with her through all of this, usually frequently getting very frustrated, getting very angry, and so did she. And to this day, I am convinced she had a series of cameras throughout the house located on my recliner because she never called me until my butt hit that chair. And it was, Mike, you know, I need this, I need that, you know. So she was watching me the whole time. It had to be. But as you do these things, you really kind of start to let go of your own self and sense of self-importance. You become the servant who is serving both the good and the bad master. The family used to say at that time she was like the little girl who had a curl in the middle of her forehead. At times she was very, very good, and at times she was horrid, because that's what she was going through. Her life had been ripped apart, and she didn't know what to do with it. She kept grieving for the body and the life that she had had before. And we were told when we first started going to classes about this stuff, you should be prepared to lose all of your friends. And I said, huh? Yeah, they're not going to know what to do with you. Yeah, there's no place for people like you in their lives. It took one year before one person from St. Andrews came by to visit. And that because I asked them to. One year. Because you don't fit in their world anymore. You're not mobile, you know, I'm not available, as much available as I was, and yet still I kept trying to be subject, subjected to the master that I then had, which was she and her condition. This is what Peter is talking about. If you show people the possibility of change, 
They will accept the possibility of change. If you do good, you will learn to enjoy doing good. And if you can change, you know darn good and well anybody can change. So if they see that happening with you, they will come to Christ. They will respond to that love and to that active service and find their home in the kingdom with him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.